Lou, this is so cool. You always do the weirdest voices every time I come and pee. I know. I like it. Which is right why now. the music episode will be very interesting. <laughs> We're going to have a music episode? Yeah. I can harmonize like crazy. You can harmonize? She backs out. I can do the ah. <laughs> I can't do anything. I don't sing. I'll lip sync. <laughs> okay. Hey everyone, this is the bundle of hers. Margo here, and um, we have everyone in the studio today, which is exciting. Yay! And today at school, we had a great lunch, um, small group workshop and discussion about microaggressions. And one of the examples I brought up in our small group was that when people learn that my mom is Czech or that my husband is Mexican, they usually say, "But you don't have an accent." And so I wanted to bring this up with you guys, and I wondered if you had had a similar experience or what you guys feel about accents and as it exists to, like, part of your identity. My second question would be, like, how do you think accents are perceived in the medical profession? Like, uh, a doctor that has an accent versus a patient that has an accent. So i just like to kick off the episode with that and hear your stories. Who wants to start? (laughs) Busha? I mean, as far as accents goes, I had a lot of like great teachers in undergrad that had accents and they weren't very popular teachers because I feel like they had accents. And so I heard overheard students saying, well, you know, their their accent makes them very hard to understand. Meanwhile, they're speaking very clearly. They're speaking English. They just have an accent. Right. And so the problem is then it's easy for the students to, I, I don't know, I feel like tune out or not listen or not care or something along those lines. And maybe Have I'm an just, excuse. Yeah, maybe I'm just projecting. I don't know. But that's what it feels like, right? It's mm-hmm. not the it's not the content of what they're teaching, but what the students are getting out of those mm-hmm. of that content. And so I always thought that was an interesting idea that you could be so knowledgeable of in a subject, right? And so great at teaching it, but it gets overlooked because of that accent. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. Lean? I know with um, with my parents being professors, um, they're always worried about, you know, class enrollment is low because maybe they have an accent or being a student and people don't know that they're your parents would be like, oh my gosh, the one person with a Turkish accent or something, even though it's not Turkish. I think also for people who have parents with accents in education and in any other field, I, I don't know, I can't, I can only speak from my experiences through education is they always come to us saying, how do you, how do you say this word? Am I saying this right? Could you teach me how to say this word? And so we're actually teaching them how to get over their accent. Mm-hmm. Um, I know my parents also have kind of like this little joke that they do before they start class saying, if you don't understand anything, at least you'll enjoy the accent, you know? <laughs> so it is a real thing through education. And I think, I think it does stem over to medicine. I know a lot of people saying, oh my gosh, like I don't, I won't understand that physician if I, if I go to them because they have an accent or something. Mm-hmm. I, I completely hear that from people too. So Bushra, what other languages do you speak? Um, so I speak English and I speak Somali at home with my family mm-hmm. and then I minored in Spanish so I I'm not I won't say I'm fluent in Spanish but I did spend a semester in Spain so wow and lean what about you oh I speak uh English and and Arabic okay and Margo English and then I study Spanish in school but I practice with Diego at home so so I speak um, English, Punjabi, and Hindi. Um, Hindi I kind of learned from watching a lot of Bollywood television. Punjabi mm-hmm. is my um, mother tongue. And then I also consider English my mother tongue, too, sometimes because I grew up here. I feel like this whole talk of accents is interesting because it's also like the perspective you're listening from. Like someone would say 
I have an American accent when I speak English, or I have a Utah accent when I speak English. So I think it's a lot about the context, right?、Mm-hmm. But I think the assumption is made that if you look look out of the norm, and by norm I'm saying what's defined by society as the majority, which is white English speaking, then you would the assumptions often made like, oh, you have an accent,、mm-hmm. you know. And I find it interesting how some accents are. Is the word romanticized like、mm-hmm. a British accent versus a Indian accent? I mean,、um, the whole like popularity of an Indian accent came from in America came from Apu, a Simpsons character, because、mm-hmm. the Simpsons are like a national treasure, you know. And、um, it's so interesting because the person who made that, who see, says that character's voice, is actually white. Do you think that that? Representation of the Indian accent, so to speak, is is too comedic, or like, is it? I think it takes certain aspects of the accent and kind of pushes that like one boundary of it, and that's where I find this whole like conversations about accents really interesting.、Mm-hmm. Lean, you had a comment.、Um, I can kind of relate to that. I know the. The puppet Ahmed or whatever, yeah. yeah. So people always assume Arabic is a very harsh language and、yeah. it's full of like "has" and "does" and whatever. I don't know what those、yeah. letters are. And then,、um, but when I speak it, they're like, "Whoa, that's that's a lot softer than we thought it would be."、Mm-hmm. And, and I'm like, "Well, don't you realize there's there can be many accents within a language? You know, you've got、right. your Boston accent to your New York accent to your Texas、right. accent to your Utah accent. Mountain, so, <laughs> mountain. <laughs> there's no T's.、Um, but, do you guys?" Feel you have an accent, each of you, about yourselves. So people tell me I have but, an accent. But how do you feel? Like,、I、what do you think? The only time I get an accent is when I'm speaking Arabic, and then I go to English real fast, and then I go back to Arabic, and then that English has an accent. That's like the only time I can see、okay. it. Okay, Arjit. So I've sometimes people say I do have an accent. Sometimes people are surprised I speak English so well. And in a part of me, I think maybe I do because the way my tongue has been formed. Because I've had these three different languages that I speak,、mm-hmm. um, I I don't know if I would say it's like an accent, but actually no, it is an accent. It's like isn't accent just a different way of saying something? Yeah. yeah. So yeah, I guess、it's、in that、phonetics. sense, <laughs> right? I think you I mean, have in, a little bit of an accent in the broad sense. Yeah, I have an accent, right? But then it's how people use "you have an accent" that term、right. that Because, really impacts、yeah. us. Do you feel like you have an accent, Bushra? Um, I've never been told that I have an accent. I don't think so. Something that you mentioned, Harjit, was that、um, you think English is your mother tongue as well. Yeah, I picked up on that because I've always someone told me a long time ago that the language that you dream in is your mother is yeah, your your primary、too. language, right?、Yeah. Wow. And so I find myself dreaming in Somali and in、mm-hmm. English too. And so I'm like,、oh. okay, so then where do where do I fit in that、yeah. in that grand scheme? And then another thing that I wanted to mention is that I have an American accent when I speak English, but when I speak Somali, people always tell me that I also have an accent when I. When, oh,、uh, really? Yeah, they tell me I have an accent. I get that too when I go to India. Yeah, when I when I went back home over the summer, everyone was like, "Yeah, you totally have an accent." I'm like, literally, I'm saying the same words、yeah. as you guys. Yeah, what do you have to say? I know when I went to Dubai, I scared a few people because I had a perfect English accent and a perfect Arabic accent, and they're like, "Who are you? How, how does you're a spy?" You're a spy. <laughs> I got that so much. Like people would not even like want to sell anything to me. They're like, "Where do you even come from?" You know. Yeah. yeah.、Um, but interestingly enough, like I consider 
I know growing up through school, everyone tells me I like English is your second language. Um, but I always, mm-hmm. I always felt like they were both my half languages. I'm not proficient in English. I'm not proficient in Arabic. I just kind of, you know, I merge the two sometimes. What do you mean you're not proficient? Okay. So when you mean by what I mean by proficiency in English, I think it's more of like reading wise, sometimes comprehension. I understand it differently than maybe some of my peers would read a certain paragraph or something. Um, the way I go about speaking, the way I go about, um, explaining myself are basically just, you know, just the way I talk in a sense and what message I get across when I talk is sometimes not perceived the same way. Mm-hmm. So I'm like, maybe it's not like, you know, maybe it's not a hundred percent proficient. I, I wouldn't say that's a proficiency thing though. I would say it's like a language a communication proficiency. Yeah. I think mm, it's a proficiency. I don't know. I think that, like if you have a vast vocabulary within a language mm-hmm. and you use the grammatical rules, which i believe it's flexible by the way same (laughs) um and you use those rules within the context of that language then you are proficient i think there are times where people use a word that i've never heard of before and i'm like i don't know what that word means in Mm -hmm. english meanwhile i've spoken english since i was a kid right yeah and it doesn't mean that i'm not proficient in the language it just means i haven't been around people who use that word Mm-hmm. But aren't there levels of proficiency in that sense, depending on how vast your vocabulary is? Okay, so I would say that if someone could explain that word to you using other words and you understand what they're saying, then you're proficient. Yeah, okay, that makes sense. Because I always felt like maybe like I can speak English well and everything. I speak English fine, um, but I don't have all the vocabulary present, Mm -hmm. you know, and I think that's something you gain throughout your background, whether you read a lot of certain books as a kid or whether you were grew up in a culture that really emphasized the hard, difficult words you only find in dictionaries. You know, I think those kind of, that's where you get those vocabularies. And ironically, I feel like those are the words that come up on um, the MCAT verbal reasoning section, you know, the whole list of these are the words you should know for the ACT and then here's the words for MCAT and here's the words for all those. So I think lean, you actually bring up such a great point because I feel like, it's also the way we shape our thinking because the way you just talked about proficiency in English, I think I was raised to think of English in that sense. So I actually have a story about um, this program called ESL, which is English as a Second Language. And you kind of brought this up as well. I was born in India, but I moved here when I was two and a half and I learned English through watching television. So when I was in like second grade, I remember that um, I was pulled aside and they said, you need to take um, ESL. And I was like, why? They're like, oh, because it's not your first language. English isn't your first language. So you need to have a certain proficiency in that class. So I took it. And then um, I think I like had passed a certain proficiency level. How old were you when they made you take this class? I was in second grade. Okay. Um, I'm not sure what age correlates with that. Um, eight. And eight. Okay. I think. So then what happened was after a year I was taken out of ESL because I had reached a certain level in sixth grade. I remember we had to take this, um, we had to take this test like all of us and it was basically kind of to see where you were at. And then I remember my English teacher pulling out five of us and I was one of them and she said, you guys scored the best in this test. So I was like, Oh, I actually know English. Like I don't even know why I had to take ESL. Right. So then I went to, um, junior high in, 
seventh grade, they tried to place me in um, an ESL program. And they said to get out of the program, you have to take a test. And I was like, I just took this test, which I scored the best out of all the kids in sixth grade. And you want me to take another test, right? So I think I did. And I passed out of it. And then I was in ninth grade and I was in this English class. And it was basically this teacher taught like the honors English. She taught the gifted and talented English. And from all the classes, I got award for the best English student. And that was like a really proud moment for me because I think I struggled with this whole idea that, oh, I'm not good at English. Right. Mm -hmm. And then um, when I was in 11th grade, you won't believe, but they called me into the office again and they said, you haven't passed the ESL language test. And I'm like, I've taken it already. Like, what do you mean I haven't passed? Um, they said English is your second language. Like you have to take this test. So I stood there and I told them, I'm not going to take this test because I'm taking AP. Uh, no, I was taking honors English. It was next year was going to be AP English, which is like the highest English. Right. And I was like, I'm not going to take this test. You can ask my teachers. I'm doing well in this course. And so I left and they never called me back. So I guess I didn't have to take mm -hmm. it. Um, but the reason I'm talking about this as chronologically is because I want this point to come across that really the way we think about things like Again, what Lean had just said, that's how I thought of proficiency in English. I didn't think, can people understand me? I thought it was a thing that I had to like get a certain grade on. Does that make sense? Mm -hmm. And so like my whole life, ha I've been struggling thinking I'm not good at English. And my that's because the system was telling you you weren't good right. at English. And right? it impacted literally my whole life till this point. And I think where I really kind of started breaking that down was when I was taking the MCAT. So I actually took the MCAT four times. The first three times, I couldn't even get the minimum score to apply in the verbal reasoning section. And I think that really came out. My co low confidence in the English, like being proficient in English came out through that. I think I started the year between I took that last time, the MCAT. I literally sat and unconstructed my ideas around proficiency. And finally, I was able to I actually scored pretty well on the English section in that last test. Mm -hmm. So it wasn't that I couldn't do it, but I it, it was this whole narrative. There was like a mental block. Right. Mm -hmm. And then I think it's really cool. You brought up this microaggression point in the beginning. This is how things like this impact your life. Like it impacted every single day of my life. Mm -hmm. And um, I know I'm not the only one who has an ESL story. I know Lean and Bushra do as well. So Bushra, do you want to share yours? Um, I think in the same vein, I like I wasn't born in this country. I came here when I was three years old. And so when I started school, it was also around second grade. That's when I was first placed in ESL. And so... Um, I get placed in ESL and I actually really enjoyed it because they took us out of class. Um, and then it was just like a group of us kids who like either came from a different country or had parents who didn't speak English at home. And so they would like teach us how to speak English correctly or something. And then they would also incorporate activities with that. And so after a certain level, they think, okay, you're good. You, sh you can you know, be brought back with your the rest of your class. You should be good enough to, you know, do well in the class. And it was great because I, you know, got out of class. I got to do fun things that the rest of the kids didn't get to do. And, you know, and then after I, like, proved my point of, like, yeah, I can do this, got back into the regular class. 
And then in the seventh grade, as I was registering, I saw that I was placed in ESL again. It came to a surprise to me and it came to a surprise to my mom who basically was like, "Uh uh-uh, <laughs> not today. So she basically was like, you're not going to get less of an education. They're not going to put you in a class that's not challenging you enough because of what they think is going on with you. We all took like the CRTs, the end of the year exams, and I always did well in them. Um, and so it's like, there's no reason for you to be in them. And she just marched right up to the guidance counselor's office and like demanded that I not be placed in those classes. And so it's kind of interesting because when I look around me and I look at the people that have the same background as me, it's the same situation. They always get placed in the ESL classes because their parents are immigrants because the primary language spoken at home is not English. Yeah. And so the assumption is made that because English is not the primary language spoken, then there must be a lacking in that area of your life. Do you guys know, is it like a computer algorithm that's putting you into those classes? Or is there like an actual human being looking at your record and then deciding? It seems like they, somebody or something made a judgment about you without even knowing previous like academic record to place you in that class. I'm not sure how it's um, done. I would say that the intent is good of these programs, but again, it's all about impact. Yeah, and it seems like it's not something that's required for you to pass school because your mom could get you out of it and you said, no, I'm not going to take the test and you didn't and you didn't have, like, you you were able to graduate because of that. So it seems like it's almost just like a barrier, a hurdle that they make people jump, right? Yeah, 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 I think like Harjeet said, it's like I think their intent is to help students who um, because of their lack of proficiency or because of um, problems with language who would suffer because of that to kind of bring them up to par. But the way that they try to implement it is completely out of bounds. First of all, I think they make the classes a little bit too too simple i think and i think they dumb it down and i think that the kids in those classes get bored because that's what that's that was my experience in them Mm -hmm. they get bored because it's too easy and so they're not challenged and then they don't give them the opportunity for um longitudinal movement it's always agree there's no you're stuck in that you're stuck in that class and then you can't take the AP classes or the exactly. honors classes. Mm-hmm. And then they it also it doesn't just impact the like the English side of it. It impacts the science classes that you take, the math classes. Math is the same in every single language. Right. right. Okay. Just because someone does not understand English does not mean they, they won't understand math. And so it just kind of impacts a student's life on a huge level because in one hand, yeah, you're trying to get these kids to succeed. On the other hand is you're not allowing these kids to rise up to their full potential. Mm-hmm. And if I didn't have a mother who knew better, I don't know that I would get the education that my peers have gotten. Mm-hmm. And so, like, I had a parent that advocated for me. And some parents don't know any better. They right. trust the school system. They, they keep their students in these in, in these programs when they don't need it, when they simply don't need it. Lean, do you have a ESL experience? My ESL, ESL experience lasted only for about one week in kindergarten. <laughs> um, so 
I guess there's a forum you sign or something. So they they know that the primary language spoken at home was Arabic. Even though I, you know, growing up, I, you know, I was born in the U.S., so I was seen as like a translator for a lot of the Arab students who were coming from directly from the Middle East. And yeah. so I'd always get paired with them during recess, be like, you're teaching them, you know. <laughs> but I got sent to ESL for one week. And basically what happened was it was a little closet, if I remember right, and there was cockroaches everywhere. So I made it a goal to learn English in a week. <laughs> I was like, I am getting out of here in a week. <laughs> um, so yeah, I, I memorized those cards and I got out of there. <laughs> so I never went back. Um, but that being said, I think for me, because, you know, just raised in a different, in a different cultural context where language can mean two different contexts and things like that. Um, to this day, I do struggle with understanding, like comprehending the way things are written in the certain, in a certain way that they're supposed to be comprehended versus yeah. another way. And I, I see that the most, the most that I ever really struggled with that is probably in med school when we mm-hmm. started doing the, the vignette kind of questions okay. where I would read it and be like, okay, so this is what I understood from it. And, you know, and I will overthink it or something. And, and then I always suffer the consequences. I remember after our first test in MCC, I went like, I went to Rebecca Lish, who's our academic, um, advisor, academic success advisor. And I said, Rebecca, I need to go back to first grade and learn how to read because clearly I don't, I don't read the same way other people read, you know? But Lean, how how much do you feel that is something you're not good at? And sorry, I'm kind of I'm kind of mirroring my experience like I'm not good at. And how much do you feel that's just the way we've been our mind has been set up that we're not good at this language. So then the, the outcome is that we're not good at it. I think it's a mix of both. I think it builds up over time. Like the mm-hmm. first time you read it, you're like, oh, that's not the way I understood it. Why are we not? You know, why did I read it this way? Yeah. And then when it just keeps happening over and over, and then you're like, OK, clearly I'm not proficient, you know. Right. And then it just it builds up from there. And so you kind of have to I don't know, like I think it's a mix of both. Mm-hmm. I really do think it's a mix. I also think that with med school, at least um, there are like test taking strategies that I feel like I just started learning when I was yeah. in med school and yeah. I, did, I had no freaking idea beforehand. But it seems like when I like compare notes with our other classmates, they're like, OK, so this is what I do when I read a question. I look at the what the actual question says. Yeah. And then I'll look at the pertinent information given mm-hmm. and then I'll make sure my answer fits within all these like like stuff like that. And I'm like. When did we learn this? Yeah, seriously. <laughs> right, right. <That's> true. <laughs> I, I don't know. It's necessarily like being proficient at reading the question, but uh, but more like understanding how a cr- question is written yes, right. for you to answer it. Yeah. yeah. And I and thinking back to it, um, the only way I was ever tested in comprehension was I'd be taken out of the classroom. So they do this like once or twice a year for me. They would take me out of the classroom and they would give me a big, long paragraph of a story. Oh, yeah. And they give me one minute to read it. Yeah. And then the lady takes the story away and she'll say, what did you get out of the yeah. story? Right. That was right. the same way. Yeah. Same. same. Exactly. And so now looking back at that, it, that's not exactly helpful when it comes to like reading med school vignettes, right? Because right. it's right. not like, I mean, yes, you don't, you have like less than a minute to comprehend the story, but it's not like you're building you're building up a differential as well and it's just a whole different approach than it is like you know tell me tell me what happened in the story and if you didn't get all the points on her checklist it's like okay bad comprehension go back and do it again so yeah so basically we've been discussing these experiences that we've had with esl so how do you feel like that is going to impact you in the future when you become a physician um i know even before becoming a physician i think a big part of 
who I want to be as a doctor kind of started before, you know, before I was even in med school. I want yeah. I want to be able to reach out with other like contextual clues, you know, and for instance, I know like hand gestures and eye contact and things like that. And just understanding how a culture sees a perspective mm-hmm. helps you communicate with them. So it's not all about here's this long piece of paper about all these rules that work. You know, here's the clinic that the rules in the clinic sign the paper. Do you understand everything? Yeah. In layers of medicine, we read that book and I think that was a big, what was the book called? Spirit, Spirit, Spirit catches, catches you, you, you and you fall down. down. Yeah. And that was a huge, that was, you know, language barrier was a huge problem there. And, right. and I feel like for us where we understand more than one language and we understand the cult, we've been culturally immersed in the language or we've been culturally immersed from where that language comes from. We can, we can communicate right. on different levels than, you know, than others cannot. And mm-hmm. I think that's, that's our place. I think that's, you know, very important for us to step up to the plate and be advocates for our patients in those mm-hmm. sense. I so agree with you, Lean. I think I took knowing a different language, like knowing Punjabi, Hindi, and English, one for granted. And also I was like, oh my gosh, I wish I only knew English. And it wasn't until I later, like I grew up and I think that it's become a strong point that I know more than one language because it really helps you see the world in a different way. Yeah, we'll suffer through the tests, but when we're doctors, we're going to be great. (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) true that. But it also gets better though, right? Crossing fingers. (laughs) (laughs) Always. (laughs) I always take every test as a learning opportunity. Right. As to like, okay, this is the mistake I made. I'm not going to make that mistake. Yeah. I feel like in med school, it's learning how to take the test, not learning the material. I agree. I agree with that. I think much of much things that I've grown up, like one thing I've learned is that a lot of the times it's all about how you go about something rather than how much you know, because we all have that potential within us, right? Mm-hmm. Um, just like a side note, a way I resist this whole, like, you're not good at English, because I was so angry about it my whole life, is um, on social media, like, I don't capitalize anything. I don't put periods <laughs> at the right places, because I feel like that's an outlet for me to show that, you know, I can still communicate my ideas, yeah. but they don't have to be grammatically correct. Follow the rules. Right. So, mm-hmm. And arbitrary rules, by the way. Yes. Also, I think in that same vein, like I feel like for me, the impacts it had is I'm like letting them go now because I feel like it's ruled my life long enough that um, I have been trying to be more confident that I do know this language. This is my language. This is my place here. Yeah. And um, but it is so amazing that I it took me so long to realize how this literally has impacted every single day of my life yeah i think that's a great segue back to the microaggressions we were talking about in the beginning harjeet and one thing i wanted to ask you and point out when i was learning spanish there was so much emphasis on getting the accent right because if you didn't have the right accent you sounded ignorant and i wonder if there was any emphasis in your esl classes on fixing quote-unquote your accent to make you sound less or more you know like, I don't know what the right word is, but like, was there an emphasis on um, accents in ESL? For In my experience, yeah. My thought was, since you're so young, they can fix the accent problem at mm-hmm. a young age and it yeah. will impact you when you grow up. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And you know what? I, I think that has impacted me because like my mom has an accent when she speaks English and I used to be so embarrassed every time she tried to like speak in English because it was such a thick accent. I'm like, oh my God, like you're so embarrassing mom. And like, there's other, like it impacts your life in a, in a couple of different ways. Like she, yeah, she had an accent. She doesn't wear like Western clothes, clothing, 
I, I like was for a long time, like I'm embarrassed. embarrassed of her and my culture. And like, I didn't want, like, I didn't want any trace of like, yeah, right. who, who I like, who, what my culture was, who and, you were as a person. Yeah. Right? And, like things that impact my life every single day. I didn't want, I wanted to seem as American mm-hmm. as possible or what I perceive to be American or what I've been told to be yeah. is American, right? And so like the impact of that I think is like huge. huge. And it wasn't until like recently that I, I, I've been more more prideful yeah. where yeah. I come from. Me too. I'm more willing Same. to share with other people my culture and my beliefs and more like just kind of open yeah, I think the point that Lean said, having the command of both languages allows you to connect with your patients on a deeper, deeper level if they come from the, that culture. And I think there's something to be said for that with accents, too, when a patient can recognize your accent or you can recognize theirs and have that connection. And maybe instead of like hiding accents, we should embrace them as, yeah. as we should embrace diversity mm-hmm. of all of our cultures in medicine, especially. Also, I just want to re-say that everyone has an accent, right? And that's something that I think it's just the way we think about it. Um, I thought we had a great conversation today. I think this is something I've always wanted to talk about um, and think about often. So I hope our listeners had a great time. You had a great time listening to us um, talk about our stories. And we actually would love to hear yours, too. So why don't you come on and see our Facebook page or our Instagram page bundle of hers and leave your comments? That would be great. Bye, Bye guys.